Hey, Bankless Nation, this is an exciting episode. It's one of my favorite formats, David. This is a panel episode. We're doing this on the social web. Web 3.0. Are we about to disrupt Facebook? That's what I want to know. Who's uh, going to be on the panel today? And what are we going to be talking about, David? Yeah, there are three different social projects. And I, that's actually going to be the first question I have for our three panelists is, what is the crux that we're actually talking about? Are we talking about Web3 social media? Are we talking about digital identity, identity in the metaverse? Uh, there's something here, and I want to unpack what that is. So we're bringing uh, three fantastic guests from three fantastic projects, uh, some of which you will be familiar with. Uh, we have Evan Mc Mullen out of Disco. We have a Christina Bel Beltramini out of Lens Protocol, which is what is being developed by Ave, some superstars over at Ave. And then also Isabel Gonzalez from Poap. Everyone knows Poaps. Uh, they are digital memories instantiated as tokens on Ethereum, but are they more than that? And what does that mean in the metaverse? So this is the first crux of the, of the topics that we will be uh, unpacking with these three fantastic guests in this episode, which I've loosely titled the social web three. I think panels are perfect because uh, when we're starting to explore a new topic on Bankless, this is like the fastest way to get something new in your brain. And it's always been sort of since the birth of Ethereum, a like a possibility, a narrative, a meme that we could come and actually build something web 3.0 that disrupts a lot of web 2.0, all of our legacy social media um, applications and, and products, the Facebooks and, and Twitters of the world. And I've always been somewhat skeptical on crypto's ability to do that. But uh, I think I have renewed hope going into 2022 with some of the decentralized identity projects that uh, that are spinning up and some of the work that Poap's doing with NFTs and the work Ave's doing as well. So I think it's time to actually uh, explore this narrative a bit deeper. And that's what we're gonna do today on this panel. Guys, before we get in, one quick announcement from our friends at Opolis. So Opolis provides you health insurance and benefits and payroll if you are a self-sovereign employee. If you're trying to get into work for Web3, work for DAOs, and you don't have health insurance, if you don't have a benefits package, that's pretty typical. How do you get that? Rather than get it from your corporate job, you can get that from Opolis. They take care of all of that for you. David, there's a special offer going on as well. That's why this is a, this is something people should check out immediately. What uh, What is Opolis offering right now and how can folks start exploring what's available? Yeah, in addition to healthcare, there's also payroll services as well to make your payment income just very regular. And if you get, if you sign up with Opolis to get your DAO uh, payroll uh, service by Opolis, you get a thousand work tokens and a thousand bank tokens out of the Bankless DAO if you get your paycheck paid by, to you by Opolis by May 1st, 2022. So you can sign up with them with a link in the show notes uh, and you can get some tokens for receiving some money from your DAO. So uh, basically, Opolis is just a collective infrastructure for ensuring stable employment and stable income while you work in the metaverse. Very cool stuff, guys. We will get to the panel in just a minute. Before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? 
When you make your trades, you wanna make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum. And is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders. So you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. The Gemini Exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like YFI and Axie Infinity. Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GUSD stablecoin. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with Gemini.com slash GoBankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's Gemini.com slash GoBankless. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants Program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a unique grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get started with the Web3 social panel, which we're going to figure out what we're actually talking about right after I introduce our three fantastic sponsors. Coming up first, we've got Evan McMullen, who's building the world of digital identity, off-chain assets, and metaverse reputation at disco.xyz. Evan, welcome to the panel. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. We also have Christina Beltramini, uh, who's building the Lens Protocol at Aave, along with some social media mafia superstars that Aave has gotten from the Web2 world. Uh, Lens Protocol is a brand new primitive for Web3 social media platforms, I think. Christina, welcome to Bankless. You think? Well, we'll, we'll get into that later, but thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like I'm going to get learned a little bit here on the show. <laughs> and of course, last but not least, you guys all know PoApps. We have Isabel Gonzalez, Chief Operating Officer at PoApp. Isabel, welcome to Bankless. Thank you so much, David. Happy to be here and excited to talk about whatever it is that we're going to talk about today. That's exactly what I want to know first. So what are we talking about? Is this the intersection of social media and crypto? Are we talking about decentralized identity and, and social media platforms leveraging decentralized identity? Is the social Web3 even a thing at all? Uh, Evan, I want to throw that question to you first. What are we actually trying to talk about today? So public blockchains are not especially expressive, right? They're appropriate for data that 
um, that can be shared with everyone in the world and on earth and in space with an internet connection. They're appropriate for data that is immutable and that is always available. Um, but much of the data that pertains to us as people and our human experiences is more organic than that. It needs to change and evolve like we do. And it needs to contain um, you know, information that's specific to our experiences that maybe isn't appropriate to share with everyone on earth and in space. And so as we look beyond the chain to fully express ourselves in Web3, we're going to need some more data primitives. We're going to need some more methods of interaction to enable true self-sovereignty over all the rest of our activities, not just our financial ones. And my gut take about the web, the social web three is that it's not going to be one protocol like Facebook is, but it's going to be a collection of many, many protocols. And so I want to go to Christina next to hear about uh, what is going on over at Lens and Ave and what the perspective is on the web three social world from, from you, Christina. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the conversation here today is really around, you know, what is Web3 social media going to be. And I don't think it's going to be integrations with Web2. Um, I think Web2 is really going to be forced to adapt as quickly as Web3 adapts. And so we can't really rely on Web2 uh, because they have their business models and their business models make sense for them all as publicly listed companies. And there's a lot of, you know, misaligned agendas. So with the Lens protocol, and we can get into a little bit more around, you know, whether it'll be one protocol, whether it'll be many different uh, social Web3 apps, but the, the whole intention there is, you know, we need to innovate ourselves uh, in Web3 around this concept of social. Uh, and so Lens protocol is, you know, really put a stake in the ground and saying, you know, here we are, you know, we want to build on a protocol level, we don't want to compete with one another. We want to all work together to build this new uh, social media ecosystem uh, in Web3. I think of it a little bit like Web2 has, you know, they've got the train lines built and they built the city. And right now we're building the train lines for what is going to be, you know, Web3 social, and then we'll continue to build the city on top of it. But this is really just a first step and, and we're super excited about it. Gosh, there are just so many conversations to unpack with what this is going to look like once those rails are actually built. Uh, but I think something that a lot of listeners are familiar with, and, and Isabel, I just got back from East Denver where people were handing POAPs back left and right. Like, I thought I was going to be super cool with my You Met David POAP, but I collected like 50 of them from other people. And it was one of, it was like a centerpiece of East Denver is like, hey, can I have your POAP? I'll give you my POAP for your POAP. Isabel, uh, talk to us about POAPs and how you see POAP fit into the world of like a social crypto enabled future. Absolutely, David, thank you. And uh, by the way, so East Denver was uh, a brilliant time and I'm very glad that you got there. You've met me POAPs. Uh, I don't know how many POAP team member you've met me POAPs you've collected, uh, but those uh, are rare. Keep, keep hold of them. They might be useful one day. Um, let's take a little bit. So uh, here at POAP, we kind of uh, are not so much here to talk about uh, social media. We think uh, more of ourselves as a protocol preserving uh, all memories for all living human beings, right? And uh, so that tends to touch on identity as like a, a form of a uh, call it decentralized bottom up uh, identity building where your identity is basically a uh, cumulative sum of like uh, what you've done over the course of your life, right? Like the experiences that you've had with different people in different places, uh, the things that you've considered special, uh, things you've achieved, uh, things that you were uh, a part of meaningfully in some significant way. Uh, and so uh, for us, uh, it's kind of, uh, we do see ourselves interfacing along that uh, piece of identity, social, yes, to the extent that 
uh, human identity inherently like a we care about having an identity because we care about what it represents to other people, therefore it's inherently social, right? Uh, but pull up, I think, uh, is something that is more for building up uh, that kind of point in time, uh, decentralized form of, uh, well, uh, self-referencing uh, identities, right? And uh, then how you trust that to other people uh, is as simple as sharing your collection with others. Can we talk a little bit about, um you know, web two here for, for, for a second. And I'm curious because, um, I guess there's a, a couple, uh, ways we could take this, but my, my first question is this very much with, um, some of the movements we've seen in crypto, say DeFi, it's been very intentionally the case that, that DeFi is saying to you, like the banking system, Hey, we're going to come eat your lunch. Like DeFi is going to eat traditional finance, right? It'll be slow, it'll gradu be gradual at times, but like the ultimate state of finance is going to be decentralized finance and uh, traditional finance doesn't have a chance, okay? Is the Web3 movement saying the same thing to Web2? Is it basically saying Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, your days are numbered, we're coming for you, uh, you're the next MySpace, Web3 is the next thing, or do you see Web3 living alongside Web2 a bit more and building something different? I'm curious your take, uh, Christina, from, from the Ave and Lens side first. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, when you look at DeFi and its success, it didn't incubate within investment banks. It didn't incubate in the, you know, the baseline financial system. And I think we're going to see the same thing with, you know, social media in Web3. Um, it's not going to incubate. It might, there might be some crossover as we look at adopting, uh, you know, all Web2 into Web3, hopefully, um, in a similar way to we're seeing the TradFi to, to DeFi transition. And it is happening. It is happening. There is appetite now um, to play in this space. And I think, you know, with Web3 social, it's going to start, you know, first in Web3. There might be a place for it with Web2, but I think ultimately Web3, and I'm biased, obviously, but I think Web3 is, is, is the future because it solves for, you know, the 20 years of learnings that we have with Web2 social where things just don't work. I feel essentially that you know, I'm renting my space on social media platforms in Web2. I can actually own it uh, in Web3 and have control and custody, very similar to DeFi. Those kind of like similar, uh, you know, principles of DeFi are actually being brought to Web3 social. So I think it's kind of no surprise maybe that Aave is building this. I think it did come as a surprise to a lot of people. Um, but when you kind of distill it back down to basics, it's kind of like the underlying principles are very similar, um, even when you go into composability as well. So Evan, Christina's saying, uh, watch out, Mark Zuckerberg, we're coming to eat your lunch. Do you agree with that? I think that Mark Zuckerberg should start checking under his bed at night for me, Isabella and Christina, because we are the boogeyman now. We are coming for you, Mark. And what that means is that, you know, the, the surveillance capitalism ecosystem that has given rise to Web2 social media, as Christina noted, means that we are renting our social interactions and paying with our privacy for that rent. Um, so, you know, we, when we interact with Instagram, Instagram messes with how close we think we are to our friends to incentivize us to buy more things. That's not truly a social interaction platform. It's a commerce platform where influence is, you know, is, uh, is enabled by our organic social contacts. 
And what we are going to build together, all of us here, is a true social experience where our intended interactions with others are indeed the interactions that we hope to have, where we can have autonomy and control of our expressions of self, and we can you know, engage with others and enjoy experiences together without the overseeing intervention and you know, enabling force of some random dude in Mountain View. Evan, I think that's actually a really interesting point. Uh, for me, it's always been, uh, maybe not always, but I think about coexisting, right? Uh, I think the Web2 platforms, like they uh, have had some utility in the sense of being entertaining and uh, centralization for whatever it's worth uh, has managed to get some things done, right? O over the history of humanity. Uh, but inevitably, like putting the keys into one person's hands, uh, you're going to wind up with, uh, at some point, misaligned incentives, at some point, uh, incentives that kind of tilt towards uh, making the platform uh, less about like, the user experience and uh, the people that are trying to enjoy themselves and connect and more about eventually commercialization because uh, companies need to make money and that's how it goes. Uh, I think that there is uh, like an interesting point to be made about uh, maybe Web2 platforms and Web3 ones uh, having just like different fundamental purposes, right? Like maybe uh, Web2 platforms is where we used to go to um, at some level waste time, at some level find entertainment. Maybe Web3 platforms is where we go to uh, or organized to empower ourselves to connect with people on similar missions and to actually kind of leverage the more interesting and uh, valuable parts of what social platforms can be. I have another, uh, I guess, follow up on that. So if if we are trying to build something unique in in Web three, and uh, you know maybe some of the panel think we're we're here to eat uh, Web 2's lunch here, how do we bring how do we bring people to Web three? How do we entice them? How do we convince them? There's a, a lot of people out there who who don't really think very much about decentralization or or care about it. Maybe they don't think a lot about about privacy either. Is is that enough of a carrot for them? Or what do you think the uh, the carrot's going to be? Why are they going to flock to these platforms? Uh, Evan, let's start with you. What do you think? So in order to bring the next billion users to Web3, we need to build the metaverse of fun. And you know we can't have a lot of fun together right now. If the only thing I know about you is how much money you have and what you've bought recently. I need to know what you like to do. I need to know who you're friends with. I need to know what dreams you have, what aptitudes and skill sets you bring to the table so that together we can solve more interesting coordination problems than just spending money in your group chat with a bank account or you know the DAOs that we know and love. And so in order to enable the metaverse of fun, we need more expressive data that can demonstrate um, all of these traits about ourselves in a manner that we can own and control. And so in order to bring culture to the metaverse, we need data primitives that can express that culture. We need the ability to interact with one another, you know, more than just pushing money and tradable assets, you know, to, to and from one another. Um, and so what I think the most, uh, the most exciting promise of the, the you know, Web3 ecosystem of, of social interactions has nothing to do with the underlying protocol and everything to do with the experiences that we can enable for people when we reduce the switching costs of trying new activities, when we eliminate the need to fill out forms, when you discover new apps and want to integrate. Um, I think that the greatest draw for social web three will be the abundance of awesome activities and adventures that we can do together as 
as a result of our protocols, um, but not, you know, because people are drawn to a fetish of cool protocols. So, you know, the social web means that we build for the personal experience, not just from, you know, from demonstrating what a protocol is capable of. All that sounds very, very, uh, very human. It sounds very fun. It sounds very experience oriented. Uh, Isabel, I'm curious your, your take on things. So, I mean, Poep is doing something. I feel like that um, your traditional Web two companies, social media companies, uh, can't do and don't do, which is like this idea of proof of attendance. Is that a new sort of primitive unlock? So uh, I, I think it is. Um, I, I think that to give you like a, a bit of context, I don't know how many people uh, at Bankless or in this room or uh, watching live now uh, know this. Uh, Pull up kind of originally uh, was born from this idea of like, a, what would a decentralized Foursquare look like, right? And uh, the reason uh, it kind of goes back to that is um, Foursquare originally was kind of like the check-in app that we all knew and loved, right? And uh, you could go and be mayor of uh, your local Pizza Hut and uh, everything was like dandy. And uh, then one day uh, they needed to switch business models because that wasn't working out for them so well. And uh, basically, you know, your uh, lifetime of achievements, uh, checking into various places and attending various things, all of a sudden just gone, right? Um, Pull-up uh, takes that concept of uh, check-ins, attendance, uh, attestations in general at some level and uh, gives people the right to actually own their own proof of attendance, right? Like, uh, so now that data actually fundamentally belongs to you. And that's what makes the concept so powerful that like uh, all that stuff that uh, Evan was talking about with uh, the metaverse of fun is something that we're currently witnessing being built out within the co-op ecosystem, right? There's uh, these integrations for uh, like the craziest things, uh, your Google Drive, your Notion, your uh, Shopify, like uh, every imaginable thing that you want to lock and gate with co-ops. At this point, uh, I think people have built all that and more. I think we're seeing more and more flood in every day. Uh, and you know all of it's still uh, very much in beta. It's uh, still very much like a call it the user experience. I think is far from being polished enough to compete with uh, to to really be ready for the mainstream, right? It's still kind of like a, all of that crypto UX, let's say. But uh, with that being said, um, the attendance primitives is a thing. Uh, attestation primitives are a thing, right? Like a proof of doing something, proof of uh, contributing in some particular way. Uh, one of the things that we're seeing is that like, uh, although there's a limit to how rich the co-op metadata is, uh, you can get proofs of uh, participating in auctions and proofs of, uh, you know, founding a community, proofs of attending the first community call, proofs of being on someone's cap table. Uh, and like all of those little things, uh, at the end of the day, it kind of becomes up to individual issuers to unlock certain fun experiences and special things uh, for their collectors. And I think that's kind of like the first step towards uh, exactly what Evan was talking about, right, is developing like that ecosystem of uh, exciting applications and adventures that we can all go on together. Uh, so, Christina, how about you? What do you think about um, bringing mainstream on and uh, you converting the masses to Web3 social media? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, the metaverse of fun, and we've seen that with NFTs, right? A lot of reasons why NFTs has been such a good onboarding tools is because it is fun um, to buy these assets and, and to trade them with your friends. And, and POOP is fun. Uh, and I think, you know, when it comes to Lens, you know, we are going to have fun fun applications built on top. That's, that's the purpose of it. Um, it's going to service all different types of social media. But I think, you know, it is the metaverse of need. Uh, in a way. So I'm going to kind of like take that and it's a blend of the metaverse of need and the metaverse of fun. Because essentially, I think ultimately, when we've seen the adoption of crypto generally, a lot of it, especially when you're looking at Bitcoin in the early days, and you look at the, the countries where that was adopted first, it was really those countries that developing countries where people had, um, you know, the inability to control their wealth. 
And so we're going to see that as well uh, in Web3 Social, and that will be a driver. But I think it might even accelerate even quicker because you're going to have need um, com combined with fun. And so I think we might even see some form of hyper acceleration here um, because you're bringing those two things from two different aspects of crypto together uh, in Web3 Social. One more quick follow up on this because I can't, can't help it. I, I do remember a time when Facebook was actually fun. <laughs> like, it, it felt fun. It felt new. It felt novel. It wasn't until like fifty, call it fifteen years later, when everyone woke up and was like, "Oh, this is this is pretty messed up. Like oh. this is destroying some things in our society. Like I don't own this platform. I, like, is there something to prevent Web three from following a similar trajectory where it starts off as the metaverse of fun, and then before you know it, we're in this like new dystopia that that we've created years later. Evan, what do you think about that? I think that the surest way for us to enable a social dystopia is to put everything on chain. If we were concerned about the you know, nature of our data being used without our consent and control, imagine what will happen when we make all that data available to everyone on earth and in space. Um, you know, the, the publicity of our data from Facebook pales in comparison to making it available to that global population, that intergalactic population. Um, and so I think that the way that we maintain our integrity and maintain our humanity in the future of Web3 Social is through um, independent ownership of our data and our expression so that we don't offer the opportunity for some centralized authority to have to be trusted to be good. Um, rather, instead, we can build into code our autonomy and, uh, and ensure that we never cede control to some party that we may or may not trust. Um, but beyond that, I think it's very important for us to have transparent governance of the protocols that manage our interactions. Um, so, you know, last uh, last fall, Francis Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower, um, shared with all of us that um, that in addition to breaches of privacy and, you know, Facebook was perpetuating known harm uh, to young people, um, you know, uh, they were aware of the fact that Facebook enhanced suicidal or grew suicidal ideation, diminished self-esteem and body image of young users, and yet perpetuated those products, um, you know, prioritizing profit over the safety of young people and lying to investors in the process. But with the transparency and, you know, consent enabled by open protocols like Lens, we can avoid some of that dystopia and we can have, um, you know, combine the forces of our on-chain expression with the autonomy of our which is what we're building at Disco. So if uh, we're inside the world of, of crypto, DeFi famously got built on this concept of composability. And I think we, it's fair to extrapolate that the Web3, the social Web3 will also be highly composable. And I th I'm generally thinking that there's a lot of surface area for all three of the projects represented here to interact with each other and be built on and using each other's primitives. And so Evan, I, I kind of want to dig into what you just said as an uh, opportunity to unpack what's going on at Disco. And then we're going to try and connect these things to what's going on at, at Lens and POAP and see how this world of s the social web three kind of becomes bottom-up emergent in the same way that DeFi was. So, so Evan, you've talked a lot about um, needing users needing to have their own data and perhaps it not being the best place to put it on chain. What's going on at the world of Disco and, and how does some of the stuff you're building help enable the social web three? So in the same way that you can carry your tokens from dApp to dApp under your self-sovereign control, 
Disco enables you to carry your data with you. Disco is like a data backpack where you can carry your data from Web 2 to Web 3 across dApps under your ownership and control. Um, and we are called Disco because we believe that you as an individual are the multifaceted center of the party. Everybody should be coming to you to learn about you instead of you leaving parts of yourself in every app that you visit. And you should choose to reflect your identity to the world in whatever way you decide, whatever circumstance. Um, because our team's definition of the metaverse is one where you can show up to any digital or physical environment and receive a personalized experience as a result of the parts of yourself that you choose to share. And so the way that we are able to build this ecosystem is, um, I've alluded earlier to a few awesome new crypto primitives. I'm sure the listeners of Bankless are well aware of fungible tokens, of non-fungible tokens, but I'm not sure if they all know about decentralized identifiers and verifiable credentials, which in my humble estimation are my favorite crypto primitives. Although full disclosure, I do have ERC721 tattooed on the back of my neck too. Um, <laughs> but DIDs and VCs are super awesome primitives because they allow us to express pieces of data attestations as you know as bill was describing earlier um that are private almost like an off-chain nft verifiable credentials are these you know little self-contained units of, of data attestations made by one party about another party um and and sort of in so doing, my uh, my Ethereum address can write an attestation about your Bitcoin address. Your Bitcoin address can send that attestation to a DNS record, to an email address, a PGP key. Um, and so decentralized identifiers are sort of the primitives that allow our existing public identifiers, our public keys, our Web2 identifiers to talk to each other in the shared language of verifiable credentials, which like an NFT are trustless, self-contained, um, persistent and encrypted. However, unlike on-chain assets, they are revocable, can be set to expire, are private by default, and can be disclosed with whatever granularity you want, um, whether in plain text or you know, computation through a zero-knowledge proof or something else. Um, and so at Disco, we believe that you should enjoy self-sovereignty over your full human expression, not just your financial expression. Evan, you use one of the the my favorite metaphors, which was a data backpack, and and Ryan uses this metaphor a lot. Is that like your Ethereum address is like your inventory for this video game MMORPG that we're all playing, but you use the same metaphor, but for data rather than for assets. And the, the data that we have in our data backpack are stuff uh, stuff that you've called verifiable credentials, uh, which I think the listeners might be from more familiar with if we if we call these things like your diploma or your certificate of like completion of something and these things what you're building at disco means that you actually don't have to uh forcibly disclose all of the data about yourself by putting them on chain you can have them in your private off-chain backpack and then you might take them to a different protocol like lens protocol and lens protocol might be able to interoperate with the reputational assets that you have in your data backpack is am i tracking here is this all right Absolutely, yes. So you can imagine, um, you know, in the future, actually in April, you will be able to um, connect your existing MetaMask, Rainbow, or, or other, you know, Ethereum compatible wallet to disco.xyz and then begin visiting other dApps um, and, you know, interacting with those dApps. And instead of the data that you create in the dApp going to a centralized database or to the public chain, it will go with you when you leave. 
So when you go to DAP number two, DAP number two will be able to see the pieces of reputation that you've brought from DAP number one and might be able to decrease the amount of onboarding that you have to do, the amount of forms that you have to fill out or proofs that you have to furnish in order to, uh, to optimize your experience in that product. And you can imagine that that composable reputation that you build over time from DAP to DAP to DAP, from web two to web three, can allow you to accrue quite a lot of info about yourself, proofs of your you know, previous accomplishments, of your relationships, of your self-attestations, your description of yourself. Um, and so, uh, so I, I love you know, Ryan's, Ryan's metaphor. Um, and I think that we can kind of extend it here to include not only your on-chain assets being important parts of your backpack or your loot bag, but your off-chain assets as well, the private pieces of information that make you you. Um, and so we also like to say at Disco that life is a giant lark and you're running around without a loot bag. So when you make awesome data, you just have to leave it where you've created it. But thanks to Disco, you'll be able to bring it with you. Okay, Christina, I want to see how this plugs in to, into Lens Protocol. Can you just kind of yeah. take us take us a tour under the hood of Lens Protocol, and then uh, perhaps like connect that to how might Lens Protocol appreciate a user that brings their their own data to to what's going on at Lens Protocol? How how are these things going to be interoperable? Yeah, yeah. So Evan and I actually, funnily enough, talk about this um, a lot. So Lens Protocol looks at really providing the underlying base layer for the future of social media products. And so the idea is not everything needs to be on chain. Um, Lens Protocol, you know, the, you could have, for example, a Tinder on, on, on Lens Protocol. You could have new primitives, really, that really extend beyond uh, current Web2 social just because of the infrastructure of smart contracts and, and Web3 um, and the ability to build in very creative, uh, interesting use cases. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we need to provide people with tools to bring off-chain um, data that should never be on chain, which me, for example, I made the mistake back when I was, when I was younger and Facebook was fun, I put way too much online uh, and I feel now I'm, I'm paying for it. And so, you know, as we think about lens and kind of the types of data we want to bring in, we are very cognizant uh, on making sure that not everything needs to be on chain, but the fundamental infrastructure needs to be there for the protocol to work. Um, so I'll give you one example that we've actually jived on. So, you know, if you do have a Tinder on Web3, for example, you know, you can't tell the complete picture of me from just the NFTs that I own. So we'll need to wrap in verifiable credentials, which will tell what sex you are, um, you know, maybe what school you went to, that you still want to be built into that algorithm, um, but you don't want to share that. We'll bring pop-ups in. Uh, so, for example, you know, where have you attended and you've received similar pop-ups. So I think, you know, all of these three things are going to come together. Uh, that's one example, but you can also think about, and this is one that I really love, um, on lens, especially coming from a company, a, a social media company that was driven based on ads and, and one algorithm. And imagine being able to choose your own algorithm to get advertised to. So I'm getting paid directly, um, you know, from brands to service ads on my social. And I'm also getting the ability to choose which algorithm um, I would like to service to me. So, you know, that will be public. I'll be able to review it. And that algorithm will be based on so much data about myself that I choose to share and not all of it needs to be on chain. And so I think to be able to optimize the products 
uh, and the different apps and experiences um, that can really kind of like flip web to social on its head, you need to be able to service all types of data, which is why I see, you know, I, I speak to these ladies uh, quite a bit. And I definitely see the importance of, of bringing all these things together to really optimize the lens, uh, you know, in a way where products are really speaking to people and, and algorithms, um, you know, have the amount of data to be able to compete with web two. Oh, you're on mute. You're on mute. Sorry, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Christine, I want to regurgitate what I, what I heard just to make sure I, I got it right. Um, so it sounds like Lens Protocol is like a social media meta protocol. It's not a Facebook, but it's a, it's a protocol that Facebook could, in theory, be built on. And in the same way that like uh, Rari is a superset of Compound where like you can recreate any sort of borrowing lending parameters using the Rari protocol, Lens Protocol is you can have your Twitter, but you can have your Twitter with a tweaked algorithm or infinitely tweaked or tweaked how you see fit. Or it's a, a, a meta protocol allowing for any type of social media platform to be built on it if you get the parameters right. Uh, so what is actually being put, because uh, I believe Lens Protocol is built on Polygon. So what about Lens Protocol is being put on chain and what is it leaving off chain that enables uh, social media protocols to kind of pick and choose what they want to do? Yeah, so Lens Protocol is built on an NFT infrastructure layer. And so obviously you need some sort of identifier for your profile. So you will have a profile NFT um, and then your social graph will get built based on a follower NFT, um, which can denote. So for example, I followed Isabel early um, before she was even part of, of Poop. I would be, I would get minted a follower NFT that would denote me as one of her first followers and one of her first supporters. And so that NFT infrastructure is what builds out the social graph. Uh, and then you obviously have, um, you know, collections and, and, and minting of posts and the ability to be able to uh, mirror them. Uh, and essentially, if you're a curator and you mirror someone's content, um, you can embed what you would like to get paid. So this whole, this is the core infrastructure of Lens, but the idea is that people are going to extend the modules. So for example, and, and not all the data underlying kind of the different products built on top and front ends uh, needs to be on chain, but it does need to be decentralized and have the ability um, to speak to the underlying protocol. Uh, so, so that's kind of uh, really on a, on, a, on a high level uh, how Lens works. So Isabel, I, I want to turn to you now because I think what these other two platforms need the most is data about their users because it wouldn't, these platforms aren't really anything if they aren't fed data. And I don't really think there's any other project that has created a much, enough, as much data about people and their interactions that, that we've had in this crypto world that POAP has. So can you talk about, and also there's a quote that I, that I really, really like that uh, POAPs are, are tokens for digital memories. So how, how can POAPs help instantiate crypto memories into the metaverse? And how do you see POAPs kind of fitting into this, uh, the, the world of protocolized social media platforms in the future? So I think the piece you said about um, POAP being, let's say, uh, if uh, Evan and Disco are building uh, the backpack that you carry your data around in and uh, Lens is building the rails that you carry that data over uh, across uh, from backpack to backpack or from person person. Uh, Poops are the data that any one individual produces over the course of their life uh, through their interactions with uh, other people, uh, events, communities, uh, educational institutions. And most of that data is like a fundamentally, it, it 
is primitive in that it kind of requires interpretation. It requires context about what was going on in the organization, in that community, in that individual's life in order to make any sense of it, right? But for a person, uh, it kind of creates this uh, mosaic of uh, a mosaic of records that basically tells you uh, exactly what it is that you've been up to. Uh, I think uh, since August, probably uh, since I've gotten into co-op collecting uh, more or less full time, uh, I have uh, kind of like a more or less weekly record of the things that I've been doing and when I've been doing them and who I was doing them with and actually who else was there with me, right? And uh, who else was doing the same things around the same time, what they were doing. Uh, I can kind of go and browse other people's collections and uh, take a look at what common interests uh, I didn't know I shared with uh, people that are at a certain event, right? And uh, there's a different, like, a, a wide variety of different ways of uh, looking at, like, uh, attendance attestations, uh, and we finally defaulted to uh, a notion that, like, uh, issuers fundamentally are the oracles that uh, tell us who was there at an event, right? Because, uh, okay, so you start getting into very um, niche cases for proof of attendance. If you jumped uh, the fence at a concert, were you there or not? Right. Like, and, and so that, like, this is a, a lot of what our curation body is currently going through, um, you know, on a case by case basis, trying to assess uh, what qualifies as attendance, uh, what qualifies as an event, because these things can kind of get very, very hairy when you start uh, thinking about the details. And the reason it matters so much is precisely what, the re what we're discussing here is that if we're kind of providing that fundamental data layer, uh, that data layer does need to be uh, clean, it needs to have integrity, it needs to kind of have uh, it needs to be somewhat reputable, right? And so uh, this is uh, what co-op is doing here. One thing that makes me uh, optimistic about the future of Web3 social platforms uh, making life more fun is that every time I see someone sharing a POAP with someone else, smiles are happening. Like everything, people love to trade POAPs. Uh, Isabel, do you have any just experiences or lessons that you've learned from just the insane amount of fun that people have when they, they share POAPs? Yeah, it's, uh, let me reflect on that for a moment. So it's this kind of thing that uh, I think happens only when you are getting something that has no strings attached whatsoever. You know, when you're getting a POAP, it's not that you're thinking about future utility. It's not that you're thinking about the impact of trading decisions or your social status or like any of these other super complicated things that make the fun stuff less fun. What you're doing is you're getting a POAP, right? Like, a, and it's this badge that you don't know what value it will have if, if any ever. Uh, someone may decide that one day it does. Someone may decide that one day it doesn't. Uh, but really all it is is like, a, it's something that is, an on-chain record of like pure emotion, right? Uh, it's uh, emotion. It's the memory that you had here. That is the value it has. It is purely a personal kind of value. And whether or not it develops into more than that is kind of like irrelevant because the actual point is that you are getting um, essentially a gift from the person who put this together that they were thinking enough about the attendance to take, uh, you know, the time to Christ, um, get a creator to put some art together and write some nice copy and uh, mint the goddamn thing and uh, go through the process of creation, figure out how to distribute it. And, uh, you know, if the distribution is nice, then uh, things, you know, might be really nice because you may, maybe you even got this uh, on a nice little patch, like the ones you've seen us handing out at FTNYC. Maybe you got it on like a, some kind of a physical um, little pin. And so you get to have like, you know, a nice little piece of something you like and also an NFT to represent that forever. So you don't have to feel bad about throwing it out so it's like a it's this nice little thing where you get to for a moment in your life experience um pure joy and lack of responsibility for whatever happens with this item 
right? And you still get to remember what happens and you kind of get to also connect with all these people. And I think uh, over time, people do develop like a sense of um, sentimental attachment to their collections, right? Because uh, you look through and you see like the wonderful times that you've spent with uh, some of your favorite people or what have may become your favorite people one day in the future. I'm reminded of uh, Marie Kondo's advice where if it sparks joy, but you don't physically need it, you can take a picture of it and then throw the item out. And I feel like that's what a POAP is, is you don't need the sticker because it has, it's now a POAP in your Ethereum address and it can spark joy for you just by sitting forever, there. forever. And you don't need to worry about forgetting. It's on the blockchain. It's on the blockchain. Um, okay, and guys. You can match with, and you can match with someone on lands if you have the same POAP. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, you can. Uh, uh, I think uh, we actually have uh, in mind like uh, an idea for POAP Tinder. Uh, that like uh, one day I'd like to be matched with people that have strong overlap in co-op collections to me <laughs> because I feel like those people would be my friends. It's friends that I didn't have the chance to meet whenever I was, wherever I was. Well, guys, I think this is actually leading right into what I want to talk about next, which is how this whole Web3 social will actually roll out. Uh, and this is a running joke I've had with Evan before. Is the first Web3 social app going to be a dating app? Uh, there's actually <laughs> reasoning as to why this might be true. So that's going to be the first question that I come back with right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas fees and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot, and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot Slingshot is a social experience. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT or soon a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet with built-in privacy and ad blocking to keep you in charge of your digital footprint. Inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, visit developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, and friction-free.
All right, guys, we are back with our Web3 social panel. And the, the thing that I think we're kind of coming to a head on is that we have these three different protocols that I think all really interoperate well with each other. We have POAPs for instantiating memories and indicating who and what and where we care about. Uh, we have Lens Protocol, which can help these social graphs be built around these things. And then we have Disco, which allows people to choose how much data or not, or, or, or revoke how much data they want to give out to the world. And so really, to me, I'm seeing just the ingredients for just a grand, just matchmaker system where our values and our interests are verifiably true and on-chain and available to others. And all of a sudden, like, we get to find other people aligned in those interests better than before. Evan, is this kind of how you see this roadmap for Web3 Social kind of being laid out? Absolutely. I think that with fully expressive data about ourselves, we can rock up to any app or environment and ask the question, you know, does my data fit your requirements? And as, uh, as we've seen in, you know, in the web free space already with the, I think it's the lonely apes dating app or something like that. Um, you know, human coordination problems take many shapes and sizes, but perhaps one of the most fundamental of human coordination problems is dating. And so being able to um, identify other people who share interests, experiences, aptitudes, you know, preferences with you, Often um, right now in you know, the Web2 dating world, that requires you to articulate a lot of those things, to go out of your way to say what you like, to mark on a dating app your preferences. Um, but with the awesome ability to capture your experiences, capture your data with Disco, Poap, Lens, and others, um, now we can allow those algorithms to do a lot of matching for us. Um, so whether you know we share Poaps in common, whether we went to the same college, our you know gender expression preferences, and our partners. All of these forms of data can do the introducing for us so that um, we can enjoy an algorithmically selected set of potential partners with whom we can solve our romantic coordination problems. Uh, Christina, do you have any want to riff on that at all? Uh, yeah, I have a little bit of a different take uh, on the data. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, from a consumer perspective, how this helps us. But I think at the same time, we need to think about how are we going to bootstrap Web3 social. And I think by nature of the infrastructure uh, and the fact that, you know, you do have these social graphs that are interoperable, is that you're going to have developers that are going to be able to build products you know, for the sake of building a product and they're going to have a repository of data to be able to build that based off and a guaranteed social graph. Um, because when you come, you bring your networks uh, and you, they don't need to spend money uh, bootstrapping, but they can still be able to build really important tools for us and have the data without necessarily having access or ownership of that data. And so I think that's a really interesting um, you know, thing that I do want to call out uh, about Lens is, you know, it not only is it important for us as consumers of social media, but also for builders out there, because, you know, they're going to have, uh, you know, the, the, the social network is, is going to come uh, and they don't need to, I was at TikTok, TikTok spent, you know, billions of dollars on, on user acquisition to be able to compete. But now if you have a, a strong product, you also have access to data that everyone else does on an equal footing. Uh, and so I, I think that's a that's going to be, um, you know, a very different proposition in this new world. 
Isabel, what thoughts have, have come to mind while these other two panelists have given their answers? So uh, there, there are two kind of very, very different threads here. And uh, I'm not sure whether I follow uh, the dating and matchmaking or the builders. Uh, maybe let me start with the builders because I think that is uh, one of the more interesting things that we've kind of seen at Co-op uh, over the course of building out, uh, you know, this uh, many tentacled uh, octopus ecosystem of uh, preservation of memories and then everything that you can do once you've done that. Um, at this point, I think we've got like a, probably between 50, 75, maybe running up to 100 uh, integrations, uh, applications, uh, various sorts of fun things that you can do once you have some co-ops in your wallet and uh, if you're an issuer that wants to kind of provide that added value. And I think one of the interesting things that we've kind of seen is this opportunity to actually like uh, go one step further and connect the builders to other builders. Right, you start kind of connecting uh, different apps that are building different things that you kind of see the interfaces, and uh, once those start to like plug and play together nicely, I think that's like where where probably Lens is going to fit in uh, as a fundamental infrastructure that like that isn't going to have to be. Maybe we still have the discoverability problem, but at least the uh, interface problem is one that is uh, minimized. Uh, I think to the point, uh, maybe going back to uh, our, you know, world's best dating app, uh, you know, forget the dating thing. I want to meet people who are on the same mission. Like, I want to meet uh, friends who've had like the same ideas about the same things that I've been thinking about for the last five years uh, and see where it is that we, you know, maybe had the opportunity to connect, like missed each other. And I, I think that's kind of where I see uh, application for uh, maybe one of the, you know, if we talk about like what the first Web3 social app is, uh, at some level, all humans have been trying to do with social media since, I don't know, social media was a thing, is like find each other, right? If you think about like Twitter versus Facebook and why all of us ended up on Twitter, it's uh, an ecosystem for the uh, dissemination of ideas, somehow like that, right? And uh, so as a result of this, uh, rampant dissemination of ideas and uh, our follower networks and whatnot, uh, eventually when we all meet in real life, it's like uh, you feel like these are your kin. You feel like these are people that you connect with on a fundamental level. And I think what I'm really excited about in terms of uh, like a Web3, uh, especially like a bottom-up driven um, picture of identity and how that might inform uh, social applications is literally just like, the ability to facilitate those meaningful connections, those connections that are going to be meaningful and valuable and interesting to people, right? As opposed to having the discovery problem uh, or the call it the validation problem, right? Where uh, there's another thing like uh, Evan was saying something about needing to um, provide this information to the application. The other, let's say, awkward elephant in the room with regards to uh, web to coordination problems between people. Uh, you need to figure out how you tell if someone is telling the truth, right? Uh, an attestation that someone gives uh, at the point of time that they're filling an application of a dating app is a very different thing versus a history that you've been building and maintaining for going on two, three years, however long that you've been living your life, right? And so I think one of the maybe good cases for uh, Web3 social apps uh, in general is just like the fact of having that history that is uh, verifiable, immutable, and whatever, uh, in whatever sense of there forever, uh, whether it's on-chain, off-chain, uh, private, public, but it's something that was written before the need for it to be written arose, right? And I think that actually is kind of a really key thing when it comes to connecting people in meaningful ways. So I have this, uh, I, I, I think it's more 
legitimate than a conspiracy, but I'll call it a conspiracy just because that's fun. Um, the internet was initially adopted as a social use case. People with like-minded interests all ended up in the same forums so they could talk about the same things. And that was web one. And web two was really just an extrapolation of that. It's like, oh, let's make it easier for all these people to find each other. And then it turns out that they could just like, you know, extract money from us via advertisements. It was like, let's make it easier, but then let's monetize it. But then let's monetize it, right. (laughs) And I'm also, I'm friends with um, uh, a guy, Michael Wong at the Bankless team who works uh, in uh, virtual reality, who's also convinced that virtual reality is not going to take off until social use cases about virtual reality take off. And so I'm wondering if there's a pattern here where, you know, we, me and Ryan back in the depths of the bear market were like, man, as soon as the world gets this DeFi thing, crypto is going to take over. And like, no, it wasn't DeFi that really brought crypto to the world. It was NFTs. And NFTs are a very cultural and very social use case. And so I'm wondering is, is crypto really going to come to dominate the world via the social use cases that it brings? And what's it really going to take for us to allow for on onboard what is a web two level of users into into web three? Is it really going to be the social web three era or the social web three protocols that really do this? Isabel, I'll throw it back to you. So, so David, you know, uh, this is something that we've uh, thought about a lot in, uh, especially like as we're building out co-op, making it easy for uh, normal people to use for normal things that they may want to do in the normal course of their lives. Uh, there's a reason that you're able to claim a co-op with an email and uh, migrate it to a wallet at some later point in time. We do not want to assume that people who want to have, uh, you know, verifiable proof of uh, their attendance at something or their uh the enjoyment of some particular moment necessarily need to know what MetaMask is or what crypto is or what wallets, NFTs, any of that. Uh, As far as we are concerned, we are an ecosystem for preservation of memories. This is a token that you get for being here. And the implementation detail is completely irrelevant, right? I think when it comes to um, like the crypto social use case, ultimately we need to be building applications and tools that people that are in, that can use it in their in the course of their everyday lives right until it's like uh, enough of a thing that you don't need to worry about um christ like how uh nfc works or how payment networks work or how anything else and now you know as i go through my day-to-day i don't usually have to worry about uh is this transaction gonna fail uh do i need to bump the gas like uh, things like that i think um Ultimately, it is a little bit of a usability problem as much as, as, as it is a need problem, right? Like I, on the one hand, it is definitely that it's going to be the fun that brings people in. On the other, we also need to make it uh, safe enough to have fun. Uh, one of the things with using crypto applications today is that like, um, unless you're used to crypto world, it is a terrifying experience. Like you click some buttons and you sign some things and it tells you it's a wiring contract and like, honestly, any normal person would be baffled, right? And so I think um, to put it like in summary, it's like, yes, it's the social thing, but it's also just uh, realistically the maturity of the ecosystem. Christina, I want to throw the same question to you. Is it going to be the social elements of crypto that onboards 8 billion people? Yeah, so I think crypto obviously uh, has cycles. Uh, and so, you know, usability is going to be a big driver of, of the next mainstream cycle for all crypto products. So whether that's DeFi, whether that's social, um, I do think with NFTs, what we did see was that's the closest thing to culture um, that we've encountered, right? And that was the biggest driver versus need. Um, and so, you know, when we think about, you know, Web Web3 social, 
I, I do think, you know, there's going to be, it's going to, network effects take a long time. And I think there is going to be, you know, initial hotbeds of, of culture, which is what drive people to Web3 Social. And it will have an amplified effect because you're bringing in your network. Um, similar to how, like, I, I don't mean to give this example again, but when I was at TikTok, right, what, why is TikTok so relevant? Because that's where culture happens in a social setting. And so I think that is a good leading indicator of like, you know, how our social platforms going to evolve. Um, but I do think, you know, who, who would have thought we would have been having this conversation a year ago about building social on um, Ethereum, right? Polygon was, was still kind of, you know, growing and, and gaining momentum. And, and now, you know, we have these layer twos that we weren't even talking about at the table here um, last year. So I do think usability and the tech is going to drive this. But I think the initial driver, at least, you know, from the, the Web3 perspective is going to be culture that's going to bring people and it's going to, those people that are on the fringes in this cycle um, will start to adopt probably if they weren't in NFTs, maybe they'll be driven because one of their favorite creators has realized the benefits um, of owning uh, and rewarding their fans in an, in an independent way. Uh, so I, I, I do think that, you know, usability is, is, is something we, we talk about at all a lot. And I don't think the initial, you know, Web3 platforms are going to be able to offer the same, uh, you know, consumer experience as, you know, Web2. Um, it'll take something else to get those people there. So whether it's need, culture, um, and then we're kind of just susceptible to, to like the overall Web3 adoption cycles. Evan, where do you think the world of social is involved with onboarding as many people as possible into this industry? I mean, it is integral. It is the magnet that draws us all in. Um, you know, NFTs, as, as you stated earlier, we're really the first clear vessel for culture because they're the most expressive primitive that we've had yet. And, you know, they're an accessible primitive due to the incredible tooling and accessibility provided by amazing teams like POAP that diminished the onboarding costs and the complexity for users to be able to engage with these primitives. And now, thanks to verifiable credentials, we have even more expressive primitives that can contain any payload we want of, you know, video, image, text, keys, proof of friendship, proof of chill, birthday party invitations, you name it, um, in a form that is, uh, you know, trustless, independently verifiable, but revocable. And so now that we have all of these really cool tools, the only way that we can make them accessible, as both Christina and Isabel noted, is to address the biggest blocker to Web3 adoption, which is usability. And so if we have an incredibly usable, joyful, personal human experience, there needs to be something to draw people through that user journey, through that experience. And that draw is culture. And so I think a combination of um, you know, low complexity, readily useful tools, as Isabel noted earlier, that fit into our existing lives and do not demand that we meaningfully change and exert more effort in new ways, but rather capture downstream what we are already doing so that we can, you know, enjoy the activities we already want to be doing in a faster, cheaper, more secure, more independent way. As this has been a fantastic panel, and I think uh, very useful, very insightful for anyone who wants to go from you know zero to to uh, sixty on um, Web three social and, and what's going on in the space. Uh, so, so I want to maybe take take us home with this last question. Then, so you sparked our imagination a little bit on what this world could could look at uh, could look like in the future, and I think my ask is that um, you tell us a bit more about that. So. What is social media going to look like in our world 
in five years from now, let's say if Web3 social is successful, if your visions are successful, what's the world going to look like? Uh, Evan, why don't we start with you? The world is going to look like one where we are able to enjoy all of the connectivity that we can today with our friends, but we can do it without the watchful eye of some Web2 company um, intervening in our interactions. I think that this world looks like one where we're able to capture our proofs of non-financial work, whether it's listening to a thousand hours a month of Illenium or you know, buying merchandise, going to concerts, showing up at meetups, um, our ability to, to capture and represent all of the data that makes us us will then lead to a much more authentic and expressive, organic and natural feeling way to interact with the world, way to discover friends who are well-suited to our interests and our lifestyles, and to generally lessen the effort that we have to put in to find awesome communities and join them. Christina, what would you add about this uh, new world if Web3 yeah, I, Social is successful? I think Web3 Social is really going to push like the potential of social because we talked about composability and tooling and, and kind of decentralized building. And I think, you know, by virtue of smart contracts and, and what can be built into them and, and, and different conditioning, I think we're going to see some really, really interesting uh, projects that, you know, sitting here today, we wouldn't have even imagined. Um, just because when you put all those Lego blocks together and, and you give people kind of choice and, and freedom and, and tools to really build and to bring networks um, and to build to service different needs, I think we're going to see kind of, we, we, talk, we talk about this all the time, um, at, at Aave, we're, we're working with a company called We3 um, to help us think about all the different types of products that can be developed on Lens. And, and I come out of that and my mind is my mind is blown. And if you go on lens.dev uh, and you go to the bottom, we're slowly starting to bring some of these concepts out. Some of them, you know, even like DAO tooling uh, and, and profiles and, and how do you think about merging two social profiles together uh, and, and, and things like that. So it's going to get quirky um, really quickly. So I encourage everyone to go to, to lens.dev uh, and to keep track of all of these these wacky ideas um, that, that we're throwing out there because um, it's fun and, and, and they all service needs and, and, and we can't even predict where Web3 is going to go. Uh, and part of you know Web3 Social is servicing new Web3 primitives uh, as well. Isabel, take us home. Where's this all going to go in five years if Web3 is successful? Day, uh, you're looking at just an augmentation in that net human potential period, right? Uh, at the end of the day, like the way that people have evolved uh, is uh, through social connections, is through connecting with uh, other people who uh, have uh, complementary beliefs that are working on similar problems that are driving in similar directions, right? And uh, that's kind of like how we make uh, our biggest discoveries, our biggest steps forward, uh, how we address challenges that humanity uh, has been dealing with for a long time. And I think that where I really see it is that like this, uh, all of this enabling people to connect in new and more interesting ways, this bringing people together in uh, ways that is, uh, let's say, more, uh, on the one hand, uh, private from watchful eyes, on the other, uh, targeted based on personal data that those people are choosing to expose about themselves. Uh, you're looking at the ability to form those more relevant connections faster, right? And uh, I, I, when you do that, I think uh, there's an incredible world of possibility that opens up uh, that people can do things that we today can't even imagine. So I think that's uh, Web3. 
Uh, super exciting. It feels very much like Web3 social is maybe where DeFi was uh, four or five years ago, where we're in this this era where we're developing primitives and envisioning the future, and the future certainly looks bright. Uh, I left this panel with a lot of questions answered. So uh, for that panelist, I thank you very much. I um, do have one outstanding question, though, of course which may not be answered in this panel is, does Evan really have an ERC-721 tattoo on the back of her neck? Yes. Maybe oh, we'll never know. Am I, am I <laughs> a canonical member of Ink Dow? Absolutely, yes. Here, wait, let, me, let me see if I can show you guys. This you is guys real. See? Oh my wow. It, it, it's really a proof of ink right here. We got to commit to immutability if we want to ask the rest of the world to join us. Wait, Evan, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't have the right camera highlighted. Can you show that again and then also make noise so, <laughs> oh Zoom, so Zoom's okay. highlighted to you? All right, are you guys able to see? There we go. Proof of ink, ERC721, amazing. Inked out for life. <laughs> amazing. Uh oh, I hope my mom's not watching this. <laughs> <laughs> she just learned something. Yep. Uh, all right, guys, risks and disclaimers. Of course, I feel like we didn't even talk about financial topics, so maybe I don't even need to say none of this was financial advice. Uh, ETH is risky, DeFi is risky. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west, this is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.